I want to thank so much all of those who have been leading us in songs of great gospel hope in our worship of God today. We really appreciate the input of those down here at the front and those helping out down at the sound desk as well. So, we have been looking together in Genesis at Joseph and his amazing dysfunctional family. Dysfunctional is exactly the right word to use when it comes to this bunch that we have been thinking about. Think about the story so far. Think about the people that we have encountered. There's Jacob, not only the head of this particular family, but the head of Israel. That's his other name, the head of the 12 tribes of God's chosen people. And yet, Jacob gives such poor leadership within his family. It is his favoritism shown to one of his wives and one of his sons that causes so many of the problems that we read about here in the book of Genesis. And we have also thought about his two wives, Leah and Rachel. Remember, they got into this competitive childbearing. They even drew in their maidservants to be involved in this process of giving their husband children. And there is real bitterness and acrimony between them in this competition for their husband's love and devotion. And we read about the eldest of Jacob's sons, Reuben. And Reuben was in a position of leadership as the eldest child. He should have taken the lead amongst his brothers, and instead he stood back. He failed to do the right thing when his brothers were filled with hatred for Joseph. Then last time we looked at Genesis chapter 38, and maybe you're thinking, I'm glad now that a few weeks have passed since we last looked at that chapter. Don't remind us of too much of it today. It was pretty unsavory stuff. We read of Judah and Tamar and Onan, and the great thing in common with all of these people that we read about was their immense selfishness, that whether it was pleasure or whether it was status, that they wanted it for themselves, and they just didn't care about other people. And so, what I was saying last time is that if we see God's Word, the Bible, as nothing more than a morality guidebook, then at times we will be left sorely disappointed. If we expect all of the people that we encounter in Scripture to be a good example for us to follow, there will be moments when we'll be shocked because we'll read about people like this and we'll think, I don't want to be like them in any way at all. But remember that that is not the Bible's primary purpose, that first and foremost, the Bible, God's Word, is gospel. It is good news. And believe it or not, this unfolding story that we have been reading about this really dysfunctional family is part of that good news story. It's a good news story that tells us of a God who in His grace steps in and does what each of us could never do. But of course, within God's Word, while it's not its primary purpose, God's Word is also very much a guide for our lives. And how we live matters to God. 
And so it should really matter to each of us, what is God's most basic calling of His people? Well, He says to His people in Scripture, be holy because I am holy. Be like me in your character and in your actions and in the way in which you present yourselves to the people around you in this world. And when we become one of God's people in Christ, when we place our trust in the Lord Jesus, then Scripture tells us that we are saved. And it tells us that we are saved from something, that we are saved in Christ from a lost eternity because we have been brought into relationship with God. But it also explains that we are saved for something, that we are saved for a purpose, that we are saved in order to lead holy lives that bring great glory to God. So, as Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, he says of God, for He chose us in Him, that is Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in His sight. So, Christian believer, having put your trust in Jesus, that is not a license to sin. That's not a cause for you to think, well, I'm off the hook. Everything's forgiven, so I'll just live the way I want to. No, you are saved for a purpose, to be holy and blameless in God's sight. You have been saved to be set apart. And the wonderful news today is that when you have trusted in Christ and become a new creation in Him, God has given you in His grace His Holy Spirit to enable you to live in this way. So today, as we come to Genesis chapter 39, you're going to see such a contrast with what, with what we have been reading already, especially in the previous chapter. In fact, I think in all of Scripture, you wouldn't find a greater contrast in two chapters of Scripture side by side, because Joseph provides us with a brilliant example of living a life that is honoring and pleasing to God. And what makes Joseph's godly behavior in this chapter stand out even more is his background, is what we've already read about his dys dysfunctional family, that his good conduct here in chapter 39 stands out so much from the sinful failings of the family that he's part of and comes from. And just so that we know what's going on as we come to this passage today, at this stage of the story, Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. He's been sold to Ishmaelite slave traders, and he's been brought to Egypt, where he was bought by a wealthy and an influential Egyptian called Potiphar. Potiphar was a senior army officer. He would have been an advisor to the king. And Joseph quickly earns his trust. He's put in charge of everything because Potiphar sees that Joseph is a good man, a good young man who will serve him faithfully. And then Potiphar's wife comes on the scene and everything changes. 
And this is a moment, a time in Joseph's life that highlights for us his attitude towards sin and his action against sin. So, let's take a closer look so that we would be better equipped to live lives that are holy and pleasing to God. And very quickly today, three things to draw out from this passage and this chapter of Scripture. First of all, Joseph had a proper understanding of what sin is, and we need to have this understanding as well, because there is a real danger for us as Christians in this age that we will begin to listen to the world much more than we listen to the Word, and therefore we will fail to understand why sin is so terribly serious. When we come to chapter 39, it is yet another soap opera storyline here in the book of Genesis. And I want you to be absolutely clear, let's not soft soap or sanitize what is going on here in this chapter. Let's not imagine Joseph as some super saint who was floating above the ground and removed from the kinds of things that go on in our lives. This was persistent and real temptation. He was a young man in his prime, and he would have had desires that Potiphar's wife wanted to exploit. And let's not imagine Potiphar's wife to be some past-it, old, frustrated housewife. We can speculate that as the wife of the captain of the guard, the main army officer in the country, she would have been attractive and striking. And she knew what she wanted, and she was determined to get what she wanted. But remember the position that Joseph had in this household. It was a position of trust. So, in the eyes of the world, Joseph had it on a plate. How did he manage to resist? Well, first of all, because he knew that he could not abuse his position of trust. We're told in verse 6, if you look at that verse again, that with Joseph in charge, Potiphar did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. How then could Joseph betray this great trust? But there's much more. And people, here is the crucial thing. I want you to look at the explanation that Joseph himself gives to Potiphar's wife in verses 8 and 9 as to why he won't jump into bed with her. And let's read this really carefully and take note. He tells her, with me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. And so, having read that, you might expect that the natural next thing for Joseph to say would be, therefore, how can I do a wrong thing against Potiphar? But I want you to note the key part of these verses at the end of verse 9, because actually Joseph continues with these words. He then says, how then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? 
And so do you get this? That Joseph had a proper understanding of sin? That first and foremost, it was an offense against God, it was an affront to him? And as much as he respected Potiphar's authority and sought to do the right thing by him, he respected God's authority much more, and he sought to do what was right in the Lord's eyes. And folks, we need to learn from the example of Joseph here so that we would not be caught up in the spirit of the age, because today sin is regarded as nothing more than hurting people. Oh, I just try and live my life without hurting others, and that's all that it's about. But no, that is the byproduct of our sin, the immense hurt that we do cause people in our lives. But first and foremost, our sin is an offense against the God who made us. We need to see that and know that and accept that. And so today, if you are struggling with a a specific persistent sin, remember that that sin is hurting God most of all. Get a proper understanding of what sin is all about. And so, the second thing is that given this understanding of sin, Joseph did whatever it took to flee from sin. When he understood that the greatest problem of sin is that it is an offense against God, then he took all necessary steps to avoid it. And let's not think that the the moment passed. We read here that the temptation and the pressure continued despite Joseph's resolve. Potiphar's wife would have been used to getting her own way. She was a predator and, and probably had the art of seduction perfected and she was going to get her man. So, that things culminate in verses 11 and 12. Listen to those verses again. One day, Joseph went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. In other words, Joseph ran a mile. And as we'll later see, no one else could understand this. Potiphar's wife couldn't get it. Why would he turn down someone like me? Potiphar thought the worst. Oh, it had to be the Hebrew. It had to be the slave. It had to be the man who was in the wrong. And probably the other servants joked behind Joseph's back, he's not man enough. But today, people, we know why he ran. It was hatred of sin that caused Joseph to run an absolute mile. He was prepared to do whatever it took to avoid the sin, even the humiliation of running out of the house naked, because that's where he would have been when his cloak was left behind. And I wonder, can you see the good, sound biblical principle here today? People, whatever it takes, flee from sin. Whatever action it requires, run a mile. 
specifically when it comes to sexual sin, because that's what's being dealt with here, but any kind of sin. Understanding how God looks upon sin. And for us, as gospel people, understanding what our sin cost, Jesus, what it took for our sin to be forgiven, the death of our Savior on the cross. Take whatever steps are necessary. Avoid that person. Delete that number. Change that routine. Whatever it takes. Joseph knew what sin was all about, and so he avoided it at all costs. And if you do the same, be absolutely clear. It could make you look stupid or weak in the eyes of many people. It could even be misunderstood. It could result in hardship for you. But will you do whatever it takes? Because the final thing that we see in this chapter, avoiding sin, led to problems for Joseph, but it resulted in great glory for God. And it's important that we understand that, that we don't just have some kind of fairy tale notion that doing the right thing will make everything great in our lives. Avoiding falling into sin will not make life uncomplicated and rosy for us. It will not necessarily make us more popular and well-respected, but it is the right thing to do, full stop. And in the case of Joseph, his resistance to sin made his life take a major dip. Look at those verses again. Verse 19, when his master heard the story his wife had told him, he burned with anger. And he took Joseph and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So please don't think that avoiding sin will necessarily result in success for you as this world measures success. But it is the right thing to do, and through avoiding sin, ultimately God will be glorified. And in this story, as we'll see next time, God continued to bless Joseph, to protect him. He continued to lead him to the place where he wanted him to be, to work out his great plan of salvation. But in the short term, Joseph's rejection of sin led to great sacrifice for him. And so, in your life, will you seek to deal with sin in your life, not because of self-interest, oh, this will make life better for me, but so that God would be glorified. Some simple and yet really profound, important lessons from Joseph, how we need to get a right understanding of sin, how it is ultimately an offense against God, and then how we need to do whatever it takes to avoid sin, so that God would be glorified, that He would take pleasure in the holy life that we lead. And as we finish, let me leave you with this 
application with this thought. Given the backgrounds that we come from, given the families that we are part of, let me say this so clearly today in the light of what we hear of Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. Your background and your circumstances do not determine your behavior. That is a message that the world cries out every single day. Turn on your TV, open up a magazine, go online, and people will say, you will live and act because of where you come from, because of who you are, the family that you're part of, the difficult circumstances you're in. But Joseph really stands out from the rest of his family. He chooses to obey God rather than fall into sin. And you know, today, if Joseph had have slept with Potiphar's wife, imagine loose women, or imagine all of the things that you watch on TV or the magazines that you read. Oh, but poor Joseph. You know, he came from such a, a difficult family. He was in such a bad place in his life. Who could deny him a little bit of comfort and fun? But Joseph did the right thing despite his background and his circumstances. And people for you today, for redeemed people in Christ here today, and if you're not redeemed in Christ, come to Him while He is near. Difficulties in your past and in your present do not make sin inevitable in your life. They don't. If you have trusted in Jesus, know that you are a new creation in Christ and that you have received the Holy Spirit who is your comforter, your guide, your advocate, who is your help to live a holy life. Remember what we are saved from, absolutely. But also, people of God and Christ, remember what we are saved for, to be holy and blameless in His sight. Amen. And we sing.